I don't know what to say. Uh, not too often I'm uh, without words. Um, we serve a great God. We have a wonderful church family. And in an hour of great need, we, were, we rallied around one of our very own. I got thinking, uh, I can say this, I hope I don't upset too many by saying this, but I realize there are four widow ladies who have lost their husbands this year, five this year, now that I think about it, in this congregation this morning. Um, death is a reality that we deal with. I'm going to put these jokes away. I don't want those today. We're starting a series on prayer. We're going to touch upon this morning the Lord's Prayer out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. I was thinking as you were singing, Miss Vicki, and thank you so very much for that um, marvelous song. It's just about 10 years ago, I don't know the exact date, but about 10 years ago, I was introduced to Cornerstone, at least from a preaching perspective. I had been here before. Those of you who know the story know about that. Um, but Gene Edgar gave me a call sometime in the summer of 06 about coming and preaching here at Cornerstone where they were without a pastor and I came and and you got stuck with me um, Vicki sang that morning a special do not remember what it was but I remember sitting down here waiting to get up here and preach I says what a marvelous voice and what a marvelous message the song was she sang. And I said it again today. Reminds me of a story, a true story. I heard uh, Dr. John Bassano, who is now retired, but was First, ba First Baptist Church, Houston, Texas. He spoke at an evangelism conference in Chicago many years ago. And he said that one thing he learned there at Houston is after the choir sang a great number. He said, you could preach the poorest sermon you ever preached in your life and the people were blessed. Uh, and I have not forgotten that. And I have learned that music sets the mood of the church. Um, we could go home right now. We know we're blessed. We are. And thank you, Lord, for your hand. number of weeks back, I was convicted about getting into a series of sermons on prayer. Different direction than what I had previously decided to do. And uh, after God convinced me he was right and I was wrong, uh, I decided to do what he was directing. And we're, so we're going to spend the uh, next few months looking at some prayers or Attitudes of prayer out of the scriptures. And the best place I thought of starting is what we know as the Lord's Prayer. 
And the words read like this out of the New International. Then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When I think of prayer and the beauty of it, the privilege that you and I have, I realize that it falls into probably one of three very important areas in the life of a Christian. One is worship, coming together as a corporate body, setting aside our our thoughts and uh, the activities of daily life and gathering together to gather and say in more or less in one voice, we lift up and honor the name of our Lord, our God, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Along with that comes the area of Bible study. When we get into the Word of God, do it corporately, do it in a large group. We can do it individually. I made mention earlier today that a very dear friend of ours sent Diana, I believe it was a text, of her husband with his Bible opened at a table. She said at 5 a.m. in the morning, spending time with God, and she said, this is one of the reasons I love him so dearly. Bible study, worship, and prayer. Three essentials that we need to be successful in our Christian walk. When we pray, we are coming into the very presence of God, walking, if I can say it, right face to face as I am with you right now. There's not one of us in this room that would say, my prayer life is what it ought to be. We all need help. We need to pray more often, more earnestly, possibly. Uh, And the Lord knew that, and his disciples were talking to him, and, and, and he gave them this prayer, and it's more rightly called the disciples' prayer than the Lord's prayer, but uh, it, it's a model prayer for us to show us how to pray. And if you notice, this prayer focus is upon the Lord himself. It centers on God, our Creator. And it is used to, to bring us to understand and praise God and honor Him and lift up His name. It is not focused upon us as individuals. And so what we have in front of us is kind of an outline, a model prayer. And it's to teach us to pray. And, and it's not necessarily to, to be memorized, although that's very good. And it's not necessarily to be repeated in worship, although that's good. Its main reason and main function is to help us learn how to build a prayer life. If you notice, it's a very simple prayer. So simple that a child can say it, memorize it, pray it. But yet it's the depth of it 
is in, uh, such that even a mature Christian can study it and not grasp all the truth that's behind it. So we're just going to look at it very simply here this morning for a few minutes and, and, and then go home because the Lord has met us in a wonderful way today. He starts out by saying, Our God in heaven, King James, who art in heaven. The very, very beginning of this prayer, we are talking to the God of heaven, the creator of this universe. And he calls him Father because he has a personal relationship with him. If you are a Christian today, you have a personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your Father. All who have trusted Him for salvation. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1 verse 12, it says, All to receive Him, those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. Everybody has been created in the image of God. God created us to worship Him, but not everybody can call God Father, only those who have a relationship with Him because of a spiritual birth. They have been born again. And so our Lord starts this by saying we need to pray as His disciples, our God who is in heaven. And then He says, and hallowed be your name. When you say hallowed, you're talking about honoring uh, talking about something that is holy. Uh, so when we pray to God, we are saying to him, God, you are a gracious, wonderful God, and glory belongs to your name. Over in First Peter chapter 4, verse 11, we read these words. If anyone speaks, he should do it. As one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Our prayer life means that we are honoring God, that we acknowledge that his name is holy, it is unique, that we are declaring the greatness of God. Now, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, there are many, many names that describe the character of God. A couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about God comforting us, we talked about God being Jehovah Jireh, that God is the one who provides. We can go through the Old Testament. We have the word Elohim, which is describing that God who is the God of creation, Adonai, which is another word used for God, which means master or Lord. There was a song that was very popular probably 15 years ago, El Shaddai, which is a name of God, which means God Almighty, that He is enough. And then the word Yahweh, where we get Jehovah. And that's the proper name of God, where we know He says, I, I am, that He is the cause behind everything. All these names describe something about God and his characteristics. And there's many more that we could look at. But these represent something about God. And by calling on God, and we are honoring him. And we are saying, God, you exist. 
You are supreme. Uh, your name needs to be revered amongst men. There is no one like you, no one above you, when we call out to our Lord and our God. When we do that, we acknowledge we need Him. We acknowledge we love Him. We acknowledge we are to obey Him. And so when we acknowledge God as our Father, we are honoring His name. We are committing ourselves to Him, to follow Him, and of course, to accept His salvation. Now the greatest name that we can use to call God is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Colossians 2, 9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And I've quoted this just recently, but I'm going to go back to it out of Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 7. It says, Therefore God exalted him to a place that gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no name above the name of Jesus that we can call on. That song that Vicky sang so clearly, beautifully expressed that. Well, the other thing that he goes to is said that your kingdom come. Now, God's kingdom comes in two specific ways. One way is when an individual invites Christ into their life to be Lord and Savior. At that moment in time, our life becomes God's throne. At that moment in time, he is the king of our heart. So when we say, Jesus is my Lord, we are saying the fact that his kingdom is come into my life. Those of you who read the book, The Purpose Driven Life, if you recall, you don't read very far until uh, it says that Rick Warren says, it's not about me, it's all about God. That's what it's all about, God's kingdom. So today, God's kingdom comes to your life or my life the moment we invite Him into our life as the Lord and Savior. When Christ puts His righteousness and His peace and His joy in our lives. His kingdom comes to our life individually. But also when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are praying for the fact that we want Christ to return to this earth, set up His earthly kingdom and and have the millennial reign. So that's what we're praying for when we say, your kingdom come. We're praying that Christ will come into an individual's life as Savior, and we're praying that Christ will soon return to this earth. Notice the next phrase, he says, your will be done. As a child of God, you and I are to realize that there's a right way to live. And that's God's way. There's a right way to do things. And that's God's way. When we take time to be with God, He will give us a, a vision, almost a clear vision of what His will is in our lives. Now, certain things are fleshed out as we go through life. I, I want to say that. But He has a plan for every one of us. And He will direct us with that still small voice we talked about. He will direct us through the voice of a friend who will encourage us and, and, and help us think through things. 
but he will give us a vision of what his will is and we can know it. It's very important for us who know Christ as Savior to submit to his will. Now part of being human is that we're influenced by our humanity. We're influenced by, by Satan. We're influenced by the world. And, and, and some people come to the conclusion that God's will for my life is going to be a burden. It's going to be a hardship. It's going to be anything but enjoyable. Now, I want to tell you something. That's not true. If you're in the center of God's will today, your life is happier and more content than you've ever been in your life up to this moment of time. Quite honestly, the most miserable people in the world are people who are running from God, who know that they know they're like Jonah. Uh, they know what God wants. They know what God has asked them to do. And they're going that direction when God told them to go that direction. And they're the most miserable people in the world. Well, when we pray, we are asking God to reveal His will, to reveal life to us, and wanting what He wants more than anything else. Do you realize that one of God's greatest wills is that everyone come to know Christ as Savior? You, you, you realize that? That he wants us and every individual to become his child. To have everyone come to know Christ as Savior. To have that new birth. Today is 9-11. I wore my patriotic tie in celebration of, if you can call us, that's a celebration of 9-11, that great tragedy. But in remembrance of it, I guess is a better term. And so much trouble in our world is because some individual or some group or some nation wants their will imposed upon somebody else. And quite often, their will is Satan's will for their life, not God's. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. God wants every heart to be honoring and committed to him. Well, after he talks about that, he goes on and talks about what he will give us. First thing he mentions there is to give us our daily bread. We are asking for our daily bread. This is an acknowledgement of how dependent we are upon God. I, I told you ages back that when I announced this series that prayer basically says, God, I depend upon you. I need you. All that I have, all that I need, God supplies. All the necessities of life are provided by God. We are told uh, over here in Matthew, let me go a couple pages over. Uh, Matthew 7, 7 and 8. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for everyone who asks receive and who... He who seeks will finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. Our Lord says, I want you to come to me. I want you to ask me for what you need. I will provide for those needs. He's encouraging us to, to come to him when, in every situation. There is nothing too small 
to, to where we don't need God's assistance. When he says our bread, he's talking about our physical needs. Our, our Father, our Heavenly Father cares about your physical condition, my physical condition. He made heaven and earth, and he cares about us individually. As small as we are. Any of you love to fly? A couple of you. Okay, I do. I, I've got a pilot's license. I haven't used it in years, but I love to fly. And you can get up about a mile high, and humans look like ants. You get a little bit higher than that, you can't see a human. But our God, who created all of this, and we can look at the vastness of this universe, our God looks down at each and every one of us, cares for each and every one of us. We are important in His eyesight day in and day out. And our needs, no matter how small we think they are or how great they might be, He cares for us. And let me give you a warning. Let us never ever think that the things we have, the food that we eat, even the clothes that we wear, that the skills that we have or the positions that we may attain in life come because of us. They come because of what God has given us. They are gifts. The abilities that we have to do uh, the work we've been called to, the skills He's provided so that we can make a living, even the minds that we have to think and, and make new things and develop things, come from God. You and I would have nothing if God was not the giver of it all, that we didn't have a gracious Heavenly Father. A few weeks back, I made mention the fact that God doesn't always intervene in a supernatural way, at least that's so obvious, some big way. He, he uses medicine. I, this illustration I use then. He uses the doctors and medicine to heal our bodies and to make us whole. When he, yeah, he could step in and instantly make us well, healthy. I understand that. But he gives the gift of medicine to individuals and to science so that things can be developed to make our lives better. God provides that. Those who don't even acknowledge Him, literally what they have, they have received from Him. Again, let me go back a couple pages, a couple verses back in chapter 5. It says, He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What he's saying there, God gives good things to all people. He gives us what we need. He supplies our need. Then it talks about forgiving us. He goes to the spiritual area, the moral area of life. Our prayer life needs to acknowledge we are sinners. And that we fail. We as humans are, are prone to sin. The Bible is cl clear. We need to confess on a regular basis our need for the Lord to forgive us. I I'm convinced that every one of us is plagued by some kind of sin. Now, what plagues you is probably different than what plagues me. They might be the same. doesn't really matter. But the, the, Satan knows where to get to us, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm glad you're saying yes on that. He, he knows how to work on us, and, and, and we have to acknowledge that and, and 
be faithful in asking for forgiveness and to be cleansed from that sin. And then he says, we also, in doing that, need to forgive those who have wronged us. Somebody wronged you this week? Don't raise your hand. They don't have to raise your hand. But we have been wronged. The world has a problem of sin, and, and we need to forgive those who have offended us. And those of us who have been forgiven by God really need to understand how to forgive other people. God reaches out to us in grace and mercy. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what we deserve. Uh, and, and He hands out a gift of grace and gives, treats us with compassion. And we have experienced God's forgiveness. And we need to grasp the truth that our offense against God is greater than any offense anyone has ever given towards us. And we need to be willing to forgive. And then he closes this by saying, lead us and deliver us. You see, the Lord understands that we are tempted. He understands that Satan doesn't quit on us. He understands we are enticed to sin. And he's saying that we need to be praying because God is the one who will give us the ability through the Holy Spirit to win over sin. God's power through the Holy Spirit in our lives helps us to, number one, avoid sin. Uh, he, he will help us to literally avoid it. He will be there to encourage us when we're in danger and in trouble. Now, the Bible tells us that the Lord doesn't tempt us in himself, but he knows that we are tempted and that we are weak when it comes to temptation. And we're tempted three ways. I've talked about this before, but the, the world tempts us, the, the Satan tempts us, and our own humanness tempts us. We need to acknowledge that. We acknowledge how weak we are. Have you, have you battled temptation this week? Three of you. Okay, that's pretty good. Four. All right. We, we, and as we acknowledge sin tempts us, and as we acknowledge we're weak when it comes to having victory over it, we need to continually come back to the Lord to depend on Him in our time of temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this, For God is faithful. He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. But when we are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that we can stand up under it. Do you understand that that verse tells us that there is no reason why we have to give in to temptation when it comes? Because God will provide the answer to have victory over it. He ends with a doxology. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. King James says, for thine is the power and the kingdom and the power and glory forever. He ends with, again, pretty much where he started. He's talking about the sovereignty of God, the greatness of God. He's saying that you and I do not need to worry about anything that comes into our life because God is God. Our prayers need to be centered on God. Focus on Him. Focus on honoring Him. Acknowledging to Him that we have needs. Acknowledging to Him that we need to be provided for. Acknowledging to Him that we need forgiveness. Acknowledging to Him that we have to come to Him through Jesus Christ for forgiveness and salvation. 
This is a simple model prayer, wonderful prayer that teaches us some eternal truths. As we go through these prayers, being reminded we need to pray, I trust it's an encouragement to you. I I'm, believe I'm dealing with believers today, as a church family, it might not be the case, you might be someone here who's struggling with uh, answering the Lord's call in their life to turn to Him for salvation, and if that is the case, please say yes to Him today. But basically, we're talking to believers. And just ask the Lord to encourage us in our prayers. Be encouraged in your prayer life. Don't, don't take anything I say uh, through this that I'm trying to beat up on you. Because I look in the mirror every day, and I know how poor my prayer life is. And I want to be encouraged, and I want to be an encouragement to you to spend more time in prayer, acknowledging that our God is a great God and that he is our provider. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together today. Thank you for visiting us. Thank you that you are a God of comfort, God of encouragement. God that provides for us. I thank you for this church family. You've blessed me beyond anything I deserve. And I thank you for that. Open our eyes this day. Encourage us as we pray. And Father, if there is someone here that makes them, needs to make a decision and turn to you, encourage them to do just that. For us in our Savior's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation, 484. And if the Lord has spoken to you in, in any way, please uh, make your way to the front. Either pray or I'll be willing to pray with you. Shall we stand? Thank you.
I want to thank you for your kind attention today. It was a great day to be in God's house. Uh, if there's somebody that you don't recognize here this morning, and there are a couple of guests, uh, let them say hey to them at least, and uh, let them know you're glad that they chose to be with us today. Again, we just honor you for being here. Uh, let's, let's pray. Thank you, Father. We honor you and praise you. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.